1: Into the latest episode of the show before the show podcast the official podcast of minor league baseball it's our last one at least for uh a certain time in which we're doing this from 15 time zones apart 15 13 15 for me to home 13 for me to you i believe is where we are right now it's currently
2: uh depends on which way you're counting right if ah, you're going true less 11 the other way 13. yeah you're right yeah we're closer than you think, Tyler. Don't we're we not are that far We are.
1: We're not on completely opposite sides of the globe. Uh, my name is Tyler Bond. Sam Dykstra is in New York City. It is currently eight fifteen in the morning here in Hiroshima Prefecture in Japan, where I am broadcasting the Women's Baseball World Cup Group Stage uh, on the heels of broadcasting the U eighteen Baseball World Cup last week in Taiwan. Sam Dykstra in uh, in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, it's what is it seven fifteen p.m. there. On Wednesday, That is
2: correct. On Wednesday. Yeah. And you it is 8 15 AM on Thursday. Thursday. In the future. Yeah. The future. The future. In the year
1: um, I I have to say, Sam Dykstra is the the gentleman of all gentlemen, uh, a great, tremendous human being who I get to see in a couple of weeks, which I'm very excited about. Um, I always have to give you grief whenever we do uh, an episode where you're in your apartment. And one time it was about, you had like 18 different rolls of uh, aluminum foil behind you. Uh, today, you've only got one. You also have a giant box of Splenda. Um, but but the thing that I got to ask you,
2: what's going on with your blinds, man? What is that? Oh, don't, let's not, let's just not touch on my blinds. <laughs> they are uh, all, they're going all directions. They are covering <laughs> the window. But yeah, it's, uh, let's go ahead and point the camera this way at the rest of my kitchen um but i actually i went to where
1: obviously like one one of the strings has been pulled and the other strings were not pulled and so like one yeah. side is swung up and the other you know what, it's what, not what's great happening
2: there? it's not great i went to my sister's <laughs> house over the weekend uh because it was my mother's birthday and <laughs> i just i was talking to my brother-in-law and they have those ones that they don't have the string anymore oh yeah i know we've got those you just artists. pull them and you push it's them incredible and uh, I turned to him and I was like, "John, when did you guys get these? These are amazing." He's like, "Dude, we've had these the entire house." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh yeah, I've just I've been stuck inside this apartment for so long."
1: It really yeah. is. I will say those blinds. The first time I I encountered those blinds, I was like, "Oh, we are living in the future. This is incredible." It's like, and what? you can like
2: push them down from the top yeah, too. The, so it's like top you want down, like bottom to come in. from Yeah, it's amazing. It's, I love it. That's a it's incredible. Dude. what's happening in the blind game.
1: If, <laughs> <laughs> the blind industry is really they are the moving blind ahead.
2: industry is just it's, innovating. Uh,
1: it's it's especially nice if you have dogs who like barking at things outside because uh you can keep the blind you can still let the natural light in from the top of the window bottom of the window still covered up. so if they're you know if they're trying to check outside stay on neighborhood watch you can you can block that off but you can still get the nice light
2: coming in that's amazing. It's quite a world, man. I mean, I, I love this apartment for many ways, but I, uh, uh, for many reasons. But I also have a, an oven that I have to light myself if it Ooh. wants to to turn on. So there's nice. there's lots of things that need to catch up in this apartment before I get to the uh, 2023 version of blinds. Well, so nice of you to notice. This. Sam
1: Dykstra is such a gentleman that uh, he he's such a good human being that he makes your brain go the other way and think, well, I got to give this guy grief over something. Uh so today <laughs> it was the blinds. It's been the it's been the aluminum foil in the past, it's been the blinds today. Um, I'm pretty sure I've done other things. Uh, but with that, we welcome you into the latest episode of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball. He is Sam Dykstra in New York City. I am Tyler Mon in uh wherever I am these days. Um and uh Sam, it's uh it's minor league postseason time as we welcome you all in. To this week's episode. Uh by the way, you can get in touch with the show, podcast at milb.com. Uh you can send us your questions, your thoughts, your comments, your concerns about the almost end of the minor league baseball season. We are past the regular season. Uh some teams are already Uh, wrapping up playoff series by the time you hear this, uh, especially at the high A and single A levels. And we were going to talk about the minor league postseason at those levels. And then Sam had a good point, which was like, yeah, they're best of three series. By the time we release this, those series are going to be done. Um, So instead of that, we're going to talk about some of the top performers uh, at those levels this year. And Sam is going to give us his picks for hitter and pitcher of the year at high A and single A. Now, uh, an important designation these are more like if you have followed our organization All Stars and our Milby Awards over the years at MILB.com, these are more like that, the top performers. They are not necessarily the top prospects,
2: but the top performers at each level. Uh Sam, let's hear it. Yeah. So let's let's start at the single A level. We'll go down and work our way up. Um, and do a hitter and a pitcher for each lead, or for each level. Uh, I'm not going to go lead by league. It's just going to be by level here, single A and high A. So we'll start with single A first. Uh, I'm going to start with the Dodgers prospect, Tyrone Lorenzo, uh, who currently checks in at number 18 on the Dodgers top 30 list uh, that is put together by Jim Callis over at MLB Pipeline. Uh, Lorenzo leads single A qualifiers with a 155 WRC+. He also leads with a 562 slugging, at 962 OPS, and with 24 homers. Uh he's played at Single A Rancho Cucamonga in his age 19 season. He was signed for just 300,000 or 30,000, $30, excuse me, not even 300,000, 30,000 five figures. Uh out of the Dominican Republic 2 years ago has already climbed uh to Single A ball. He's climbed once level a year basically going from the DSL uh to the Arizona Complex League last year now it's a full season ball. Now this is his best year by far. That 962 OPS is his highest of his career. That's not why I'm picking him here. It's because of all those reasons I, I laid out before. And yes, you know the the Cal League is a hitter's league. It's not a huge surprise to hear that a Cal League hitter led in slugging, led in OPS, led in homers. But that WRC Plus kind of tries to even it out a little bit, and he still was tops uh, at single A. You can make a case for Samuel Desaio, uh, the Orioles catcher, Uh, who had about 60 fewer plate appearances than Lorenzo, another catcher a year younger than him. um, Somebody who's also done really well this year, uh, making the jump to full season ball. But I'm going to go with Lorenzo for my hitter uh, of the year at the single A level. And then for pitcher at the the same lowest rung of full season is Trey Dombrowski. Uh, T- Trey Dombrowski struck out a lot of batters this year in the Astros system. His age 22 season, 30.1% strikeout rate, which was tops in single A. Um, his strikeout minus walk percentage, which is a stat I really like. It's somebody who does both really well. Is it somebody who strikes out guys a lot and doesn't walk a ton. uh, was 22.8, which led the level as well. Uh, his 214 average led single A. He had a 3.71 ERA, which was fantastic uh, for Fayetteville, but his home numbers were a little bit worse than his uh, road numbers. So the environment at Fayetteville may have been playing into that. But one thing I always look at for these things is, can you strike guys out? Uh, That's one of the toughest things to do. Dombrowski certainly has done that this season. Uh, Like I said, a 22-year-old left-handed pitcher comes in at 6 foot 5 uh stands out more for his breaking stuff his curveball and slider are closer to average pitches uh and he th- he has above average control which certainly helps him at that level somebody coming out of Monmouth um so he should have do- dominated single a uh in this way but to to do so in the way he did for 119 innings he gets the nod at single a all right, Sam, uh, that is the single-A level. Uh,
1: what about at the high-A level where uh, postseason is now underway as well?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, Tyler, as you said before, you know, I just want to reiterate that, you know, we, I know there are high-A series going on right now. There are single-A series going on right now. And I would love to give you my picks for all of them. Uh, but we're doing this on Wednesday, Eastern Standard Time. Um, you know, you never know who's <laughs> We could say one thing like, oh, so-and-so is off to a a 1-0 series lead, and that's going to be bunk by Friday if the the other team sweeps the next two games. So we'll have full postseason coverage next week uh, of these levels when some champions may already be crowned, uh, and we can break that down even deeper. But for now, let's just stick to these uh, season standouts. So then on the hitting side for high A, I'm going to go with somebody who – I think is one of my favorite sluggers in the minors g- leagues this year somebody out of the Rangers system uh Abby Malik Ortiz now you have to lower the standards a little bit to get Ortiz on the, the list for high A um but his slugging numbers 624 over 333 uh plate appearances at high A this year that's the highest of anybody who had 250 plate appearances at high A is 988 OPS also highest at the level uh this is somebody who's hit 26 homers in 80 games. Uh, So, you know, let's say you, if you would have played 182 games, you'd be on pace for 50 plus homers at high A. You know, you look at some of the other performers that have been in that league. This is when I say like, Hey, Jackson holiday did really great. At single A, did really great at high A didn't quite spend enough time because he was so good at either level for me to give him a nod here. uh, Especially, you know, when you, incorporate some of the counting stats, but Abimilek Ortiz, first base only, 21 years old. It's killer power. It really, really works well. Um, You know, would love to see him get to double A at the start of next year. He slugged above 600 at both single A and high A this season, Uh, but for him to slug that much uh, at, you know, 600 plus over 80 games was certainly special. So he gets the nod on the hitting side. Now on the pitching side, this is somebody who just entered our top 100 uh, it's Drew Thorpe of the New York Yankees. And he has the case for being the most dominant pitcher in the minor leagues, at least when you consider par- prospects this season. Uh, Drew Thorpe pitching for high A Hudson Valley over 109 innings this year, had the lowest ERA at high a at 2.81 he struck out 32.4 percent of batter's face that was the highest strikeout rate again going back to that strikeout minus walk percentage that was the best in high a at 24.6 he had a whip of 1.07 which was again the lowest at high a so he's taking off every box you could possibly tick here and he did it over 100 innings now he's at double a somerset they just added him to the injured list unfortunately uh it sounds like it's an injury on his non-pitching arm so that's a little bit of good news uh but drew thorpe somebody who really dominates with the changeup, uh and did that exceptionally well to start out his first full season at high a another guy who probably should have got promoted uh to double a Somerset at some point but the yankees have a lot of these arms there is a little bit of a traffic jam between high a and double a this year uh drew thorpe will get that chance at double a when he's healthy again next season and hopefully he can take off again but the strikeout numbers were really stand out and that reflected in everything else like i said the era the whip he was really difficult to touch this year at high end. It was a pretty easy pick for the picture of the year at that level.
1: All right, Sam, uh, we are now into the stretch in which uh, you're headed off for your final minor league game of the month here in 2023. And uh, you get to head to a very cool town, a place where I have never been before. But you're headed off to Biloxi to check out the Shuckers for the, uh, the final minor league game of the month this year.
2: Yeah, I mentioned this as my MILB-TV pick of the week last week, uh, pre- pretty much hinting that like, hey, you should watch this this uh, series because it is a very good one, but also because the game of the week or the game of the month, I should say, will be there on Saturday. Uh, Biloxi and Montgomery are neck and neck in the Southern League South Division second half title, which is a tongue twister. Southern League sub- Southern League <laughs> South Division second half title. Uh, I had to say that for a 50 black I... slick back hair wigs. 50 black slick back hair wigs.
1: See, you're the, you're the
2: king of this. You do this all the time. People send you to international waters. For cut Adley Rushman will love that reference that I just made. I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. Uh, now I get what that's from. I have avid agree. listener I'm of sorry. the show. I'm sure
1: Adley Rushman. Fellow, yeah. I think you should leave Friend of the show.
2: Adley Rushman. He is a friend of the show. He is. He is a friend of the show. <laughs> um, but yeah, I will be heading to Biloxi. On Friday and Saturday, the game of the month will be Saturday. Um, But as it stands right now, as we're recording on Monday, Montgomery has just a half-game lead. And it's a six-game series. If Biloxi wins four out of the six games, it goes to the postseason. Anything else lower than that? If they split the series, Montgomery's going. Uh, So we have two top ten prospects that will be in that game. Junior Caminero, who is as hot as anybody in minor league baseball. He has 15 homers that he's hit since the beginning of August. So that's 15 homers in essentially six weeks. Um, He's slugging above 700 in that span. It's been really killer what he's doing at the tail end of his age 19 season. He turned 20 a few months ago, but it's still technically his age 19 season. Jackson Churio being the other one, he's been really good since the start of July uh, when the Southern League ball was switched away from the pre-tacked one. He seems to have adjusted really well to that. Uh, Maybe he was struggling a bit with the pre tech ball, I will be talking with Jackson Churio on Saturday on the MLB Pipeline Instagram Live page. So, check that out, keep an eye out. We'll be putting out uh announcements on socials when that's coming out. It'll also be posted again later if you miss it. Circle back to the MLB Pipeline Instagram page, I'll be checking checking in with Jackson Churio, seeing what's changed in the second half. Um, but as if that matchup couldn't get isn't good enough between the postseason implications and having two top 10 prospects, there's also Jefferson Caro who's one of the best catching prospects in baseball. He'll be on the Biloxi side. Carson Williams was just called up to double-A Montgomery. He's a top-20 prospect in the game, brings elite defense plus power, um, can really help Montgomery, and I think you know allows Junior Camonero to slide over to third base, uh, which is a better fit for him defensively. Also, the Brewers just called up Brock Wilkin, their first-round pick from this year from high A to double-A. What does he do for his first hit? He hits a grand slam at double-A. Um, So this matchup just keeps getting more and more loaded. Um, Both of these teams are really going for it. They want that Southern League postseason spot. Uh, So hopefully it's still up for grabs uh, come Saturday. It should be. And if it is, it's going to be a cutthroat game. I can't wait to get down there. We'll also be doing uh, a stadium tour of MGM Park on the MILB Instagram page. So check that out. uh, Post, you know, showing you some stuff. If you ever make it down to Biloxi, like what you should look for in that ballpark. Uh, I'm really interested to see it because it is like right there on the Gulf. If you've ever seen pictures of it, there's a big casino kind of looming over right center. Um, It's one of the newer parks in the minor leagues, just having opened a few years ago. Uh, I'm really interested, not just to take it off for myself, but also to show it to people who haven't been down there for any reason, because you know, the brewer's system continually is loaded. Uh, I don't think Jackson Sherry is going to be there next year, but who knows Brock Wilkins, could very well start out double-A next year. There might be some Brewers fans who want to head down to Biloxi or other people who just want to see it on their regular minor league tour. So keep out, keep an eye out for, like, all of the content that will be coming out of the, the game of the month. But the game itself should be particularly loaded, and that will be streaming for free, like all games of the month, uh, on Saturday on MLB.com, on MILB-TV, uh, anywhere you can get minor league footage. We'll have it out there for free.
1: And uh, yeah, it's a stop that I would like to make on my minor league landscape. Head
2: to head to Biloxi. I've not been. I've actually never been to Mississippi.
1: I've never. Neither, I.
2: Never made it. Neither have I. So they, yeah, I'm flying into Louisiana. I'm flying into New Orleans, then driving to Biloxi. Never been to either of those states. So, so and you say that state's, off states
1: off name in a in a normal way as the rest of us Yanks do. I don't know if I would technically be considered a Yankee. I'm from Colorado, but anyway, uh, my fiance uh who is from East Texas very near the border she says Louisiana and the first time she said it I was like are you are you serious about Louisiana Louisiana and she's like yeah it's Louisiana near, near the Louisiana border I was like the what border what <laughs> and I'm sure we'll get I'm sure we'll get emails from people that are like no that's the correct way but I'm not
2: well you know't I mean, say
1: you don't I say keep... St Louis Missouri well you do say Louisville yeah, you do say Louisville, Unless you're in yeah. Colorado, where we have a town with the same spelling and it's Louisville. <laughs>
2: nothing, nothing makes the United any United States sense. of
1: America is a land of contrast. Nothing I don't makes know any it's sense. Done. It's like the uh the river that is named after the state that Little Rock is in. Uh that river is pronounced by locals as the Arkansas River, not the Arkansas River. No, nothing makes sense. The world doesn't make nothing sense, makes Sam. Sense. And I, I love all, it though. I love we're all hurtling like, you know, it, on this blue marble toward our
2: own oblivion. Now there, well, we get to learn something about each other, right? There, like, there are mummified the thing,
1: aliens that... in Mexico. We got maybe signs of life light years away. The James Webb Telescope, uh, you know, we got uh, the, the, the the nothing makes sense. Yeah,
2: exactly. We like to learn all these weird things about ourselves. Yeah, save, save ET hour for the off season. We got a long off season ahead. Huh. We can we can do all that stuff.
1: All right, Sam, well, I'm going to pass this baton to you and uh, our very own Benjamin Hill. What's coming up?
2: Yeah, so Ben and I will be catching up uh, here in just a bit, but we also have an interview later. There's a very interesting postseason series happening. Again, it'll be over by the time you guys hear this, but it was fascinating for us. Ben and I were kind of sitting around trying to come up with podcast ideas, and we both thought of this one. In the Florida State League, uh, one of the two postseason series is between Palm Beach and Jupiter. Palm Beach and Jupiter, you might know, normally share a stadium, and they do currently. Uh, But for a while now, because of renovations to Roger Dean, uh, they have actually had to play at ballpark of the Palm Beaches basically down the road. Uh, So it's a postseason series between two teams who know each other very well. They share a facility, but now they've had to share a different facility. There's so many moving parts going on in just a three game set. So we'll catch up on that
3: and much more here with me and Ben. The power of their data wasabi, another Boston based championship team. Okay,
2: picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H track, all wheel drive, and three row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild, conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe.
0: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: Well, now, currently sitting to the left of me, not in a grimy's parking lot, not in a record store parking lot of any kind, is Benjamin Hill, who is, I don't want to say freshly back from the road, you've been back for a few days, but if you are listening to these podcasts back-to-back, it would seem freshly back to, from the road to you. Uh, ben, first off, it is good to have you back in New York City. How are you?
4: Yeah, I'm doing well. I, it's uh, We're talking here on a Thursday afternoon. Um, it feels to me like I'm freshly back from the road. Uh, the last game I attended was Sunday afternoon in Columbus at beautiful uh, Huntington Park. And then my flight out that evening got canceled. So spent an extra night in Columbus, made it home on Monday morning. And uh, yeah, then kind of resumed normal operations on Tuesday. And here we are talking on Thursday. No rest in the world of minor league baseball. The playoffs are going on uh at a and uh, high a levels um regular season is and wrapping up at double a triple a's got a few weeks to go i've got plenty of road trip stuff going on i would like to visit more record stores but let me tell you i have so many records that i haven't listened to yet and it gives me anxiety sometimes i buy a record and it takes a better part of a year from it really to become part of my active listening list It's, it's getting out of control and um I need help.
2: Well, just getting giving yourself the option to play it at any time is worth the price, right? Like even if you don't listen to it for a while, just having it around. It's now an option to you that wasn't available to you before you bought.
4: True, true. Um, yeah, you know, I come from the world of college radio, big part of my uh, you know, college experience at the University of Pittsburgh. 92.1 WPTS call with a request 383 9787. That's 383 WPTS. Um and you know, when I was in college radio, they had rotation. And, you know, that was you had to play songs during a certain part of the day that were in rotation, heavy rotation, medium rotation, light rotation. So now I have my own self-created rotation. So an album has to, you know, wait its turn to get into rotation, then get a certain number of listens before it then gets put into the stacks. And sometimes I do cheat. It's usually like late at night where I'm like, ah, no one's watching, even though I'm the only one involved in this entire operation. I just want to listen to this record right now. And that's what happens.
2: All right. Well, there we go. When we were talking to you last week. It was from a record store parking lot. You were on your way from Nashville to Bowling Green, Kentucky. You have since been to Bowling Green. You've been to Louisville. You've been to Indianapolis. You've been to Columbus. But let's focus on the two Kentucky stops uh, for now between Bowling Green and Louisville. What were your takeaways from there?
4: Yeah, Bowling Green. Well, in last week's episode, as you might remember, I know you remember. I, I
2: I happily remember. Yes,
4: that. and as listeners might remember, um, last week's guest on the podcast was Ashley Wilson, the assistant, assistant general manager of the Bowling Green Hot Rod. So I talked to her right after the game and uh, was happy to be able to share that on the podcast the next day. It was a real quick turnaround on, on that one. Uh, but Bowling Green in general, I had not been to see the Hot Rod since 2013, a full decade. So it was good to be back there. The last time I went there in 2013, Brad Taylor was the general manager and he had played you know a key role in getting that franchise established uh, back in 2009. And I remember talking to Brad Taylor in 2013, and I think he had just taken the job to be uh, to lead El Paso, who had not debuted yet. The Chihuahuas, the Chihuahuas' name wasn't a thing, uh, but he left following that year to start the Chihuahuas. So my last visit to Bowling Green predated the inception of the El Paso El Paso Chihuahuas, and now that team seems like, you know, very, very uh, much a part of the fabric. Yeah, yeah. part of the fabric. It doesn't feel new anymore. So that's how long it had been. Uh, it was a Thursday night, so the hot rods. As they do uh, most every Thursday, they played as the Bootleggers, one of their alternate identities, uh, representing mm-hmm. the history of a uh, you know illicit, illicit whiskey, not a illicit, illicit whiskey production uh, in you know the uh, Bowling Green region. And those hot rod uniforms, look them up if you haven't seen them. They are full pinstripe all the way. The pants are you know dark brown, like a barrel colored, and have pinstripes all the way down. Um, it's a real eye catching look that that pinstripe barrel theme from top to bottom, from head to toe. And, um, the bone green hot rods have always done well with that kind of thing. Uh, unique alternate identities, uh, you know, interesting promotions, Ashley Wilson, who I mentioned, um, you know, is real big on the promotions and she's also the, uh, on field MC, you know, is in costume whenever a theme night allows it. Um, so it's a smaller operation, you know, by minor league baseball standards. Um, But still, a lot going on uh, in Bowling Green promotionally, and great to be back. The game itself was against the Greensboro Grasshoppers, and it was the longest game I've seen in the pitch clock era. Uh, It was something like three hours and 41 minutes, so it was a slog. And by the end of the game, I think everyone just felt like, oh, let's end this game. Final score, Greensboro 19, Bowling Green 10. Uh, A cool aspect of the game, um, obviously not from Bowling Green's side, but it does have a Bowling Green connection, is that Luke Brown – of the Greensboro Grasshoppers as a Bowling Green native. So he was back home hmm. uh, playing as the visiting team against the Hot Rods, but he had eight RBIs in that 19 to 10 win. So that was a cool thing towards the end of the game. You know, it's the eighth inning, it's a blowout. Most of the fans had left, but Luke Brown still racking up hits, racking up RBIs. And, you know, a lot of the fans left were Luke Brown fans, you know, uh, really getting into that. Um, and I got to meet Turbo, the uh, front office dog. Um, He's an aspiring bat dog. You know, I think that was the plan. But then the pandemic hit and the trainer who was doing it couldn't do it. Uh, So he's just at the ballpark every day and uh, comes out in the concourse and greets fans. And just the way dogs are, it's just one of the most popular people, not people, but popular individuals (laughs) in the ballpark. Uh, So if you go to a Hot Rods game, uh, keep an eye out for Turbo get your turbo merchandise in the team store because yes they have that i believe they have a t-shirt that says something along along the lines of i'm just here to see turbo (laughs) so (laughs) it's that kind of uh atmosphere in bowling green where people love the dog but it's not just bowling green it's everywhere get a ballpark dog if you don't have one seriously everybody loves ballpark yeah
2: i mean turbo is uh, basically an international celebrity now I mean people know him he's got a uh Twitter account to follow. I mean, yes, he he doesn't have the purpose of like going out and getting bats like some other bat dogs, but like he's around, he's a character. Yeah, and we might see him as a bat dog.
4: That's that's I the long term Yeah, right. Turbo is four years old and um, still has a lot of potential to fulfill those bat dog dreams, but it's a process. I know people think like, ah, oh, you get a dog trained to pick up a bat, but there's a lot uh, that goes on to that with the timing of when they go out because you are doing this during a professional minor league yeah, baseball right, game. Yeah. And so that bat dog really does have to be on top of things in terms of the timing of when they get the bat, not slowing down the the gameplay, uh, a confidence uh, among the with the bat dog, uh, knowing what he or she has to do, uh, knowing uh, not to defecate on the field, which is fortunately the only, you know, minor league baseball scenario where we have to worry about that. But it is an issue and you can look it up other bat dogs. Have had their accidents, yes, and, you know, and hopefully Turbo avoids that. But anyway, great to see Turbo. We, we have high hopes for Turbo. We do, we do. All
2: right, so we were also saying your next stop after that was Louisville, a place I got to visit earlier this summer. Uh, went down there to go see Ellie De La Cruz and uh, some various other Reds prospects, many of which are now with the big league club. Um, but you were there checking out Louisville your Field, has one of I know your favorite entrances to a minor league ballpark, in that it's a former train depot. Um, that folks walk through as they're coming through. But what else stood out about this visit to Louisville?
4: Yeah, I was I was thinking about my travel itinerary this year, and it wasn't part of the plan. But I visited the two minor league ballparks that uh, were former train depots: uh, Montgomery Biscuits, Riverwalk Stadium, and now Louisville, uh, Louisville Slugger Field. And you know, I was talking to Greg, Greg Gillette. <laughs> Is that how you say his last name? It's been a while, mm. um, but the team president. And uh, you know he was saying like if we we couldn't have built this structure, you enter through this spacious brick former train depot, and he's like you know given the cost of building a ballpark, we couldn't have done this you know new. So yeah, Greg Galliet. Galliet, yeah, yeah, Greg Galliet. I I apologize, um, but he was saying we could not do this new like new, and so to incorporate a historic structure into the entrance, it really gives it a sense of grandeur grandeur. <laughs> depending on how much of a grandeur you want to add to it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when you walk in and the ballpark itself is now about 25 years old and, um, they've made a, a ton of great improvements since the last time I was there. Um, you know, reduced the capacity, which has been a trend added more group areas, more room to move around. Um, and I just had a great time there. There was just a lot going on from the start. People I know in Louisville from previous road trips, you know, spent an inning sitting with my friend Steve-O, one of the best uh, fan scorekeepers I've ever seen. Uh, Greg Hotop, my designated eater, was actually the designated eater in Indianapolis nine years ago. He reprised his role in Louisville. Um, and uh, the filet mignon of Louisville slugger field is the fried bologna sandwich. So we had to feature that, uh, you can get a fried bologna sandwich, which, uh, you know, Louisville, it's Kentucky. It's not the North, but that's about as North as I think I've seen fried bologna. It's usually a bit of a, more of a Southern specialty. I remember seeing in the appy league here and there, and, uh, I believe maybe in Georgia through the years, it all blurs together, but, uh, Good to see fried maloney, the filet mignon in Louisville Slugger Field uh, at the ballpark, as well as uh, Four Pegs Barbecue, which I've never been to one of their establishments. But they run uh, one of the outfield concession stands and uh, really good barbecue out there in, like, the center field concourse area. Uh, Four Pegs Barbecue, Greg, the designated eater. I got him a sandwich there. It costs $25, which is a lot for a concession item, but you could definitely split it with at least one person. It was pulled pork brisket and chicken on a hoagie roll and french fries and pickles and everything else wait but, are
2: the fries incorporated in
4: yeah the fries were actually to me it's like you don't even you know and gluten-free you just take away the roll and it'd be i think it'd be okay um because you can't really pick that thing up and eat as a sandwich it's like the fries and then all, it's the bread <laughs> the fries and uh. then all the meat so uh a fork and knife are recommended split it uh but if uh you're, you're still hungry after your fried bologna sandwich uh, hit up <laughs> hit up at four pegs barbecue and if you're really hungry you get the grand slam and it has everything in it for 25 dollars um and as i'm talking now i'm just like oh i'm forgetting so many other things uh, i did and people i talked to in louisville um but it all come out eventually i've got more stories coming right. out uh but bottom line is it was great to be back there great energy uh they had um Joey Votto rehabbing. So it was good to see him coming up with uh, Jolene as, as his walk up song. Um, just good energy all around. And it, it was a uh, Friday night, which really helped. I was a little skeptical on this trip being a post Labor Day September trip that, you know, attendance would be really rough throughout. But in most cases, that was not the case at all. And in Louisville on a Friday night, um, just tons of people, including the uh, ever popular Boy Scout sleepover after mm. the game. So. Yeah, never a dull moment all the way through the end of September in AAA baseball.
2: Yeah. I mean, Louisville has been one of my favorite places to visit this year because it is a major city. Like it is a big hub. There are a lot of people who come there. There are a lot of people who live there. Um, so they really embrace the baseball team but it's also close to Cincinnati where like there are legit Reds fans there too. It's that perfect mix of like, Hey, there's enough people here to get people to the ballpark to begin with. But we have that added layer of like Joey Votto might be rehabbing or Ellie De La Cruz might be here. Matt McClain, Andrew Abbott on down the line, Christian and strand. All those guys came through there. So these are legit fans or fans of the Reds. The river's right there. It's not that far to, to get to Cincinnati, um, but there it, There's a large population base to support a club like that, and it shows, I feel like, season in and season out.
4: No, there definitely is. And uh, another interesting thing about this franchise is that when they started, they were in Cardinal Stadium, um, which hosted, I guess, the University of – it was a University of Louisville Louisville. um, facility first uh, or in, in addition to. And that ballpark had capacity of something like 33, 34,000 people. And there were times they had sellouts. And I just was fascinated by talking to Greg, who's been with the team since the 80s when they played in that ballpark, uh, looking at pictures. And there was a picture of a sellout at Cardinal Stadium where they had something like 33,000 fans. And it was quarter hot dog night. That's what got 33,000 fans. And it made me just really nostalgic. One, of that many people showing up for a minor league game. And two, as much as we all love, like, a lot of the crazy promotions that go on and everything just to think like at a ballpark like that with no frills whatsoever once you were there you were just there to watch the game and have 30 some thousand people really invested in that and quarter hot dogs but (laughs) i was gonna say don't overlook the quarter hot dogs yeah but still uh just what the atmosphere must have been like Really, you know, getting to know the players and rooting for the team, it it made me nostalgic in that way. And there's a lot of stories from operating out of Cardinal Stadium. Uh, One of the many things Greg told me that there were livestock stables underneath the stadium. So in their offices, they could just hear the kicking of (laughs) bulls and cows and who knows what else rumbling (laughs) on down there. Uh, It was an interesting place. But Louisville Slugger Field, uh, very close to the Louisville Slugger, you know, factory and museum. Uh, A lot of baseball history in Louisville and uh, really a fun place to see a game.
2: Yeah. So more stuff from Louisville will be coming in your writing. We'll talk about Indianapolis and Columbus, which are other two stops on that trip uh, in future podcasts. uh, Ben, but before we let you go here, what is your promo of the week? I mean, Tyler and I will be talking about our MILB TV picks of the week later on in the show. uh, But while we have you, what is your promo to watch?
4: Yeah, it's funny to be talking about something like this on September 14th, when we're recording this, the podcast. There's still baseball left. Yeah, there's a couple of weeks of baseball left, at least on the AAA level and playoffs. Um, So, yeah, we're talking here on Thursday, September 14th. You will hopefully listen to the podcast on Friday, September 15th. And then you will travel, I presume, if you don't live there already, to Round Rock, Texas on September 16th, Saturday, because they are celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Cole classic Dazed and Confused. Uh, which of course took place in Austin, Round Rock is just outside of Austin, and um, they have a lot going on. They have a bobblehead giveaway related to the movie, they have theme jerseys, they have a panel discussion at the ballpark, uh, with cast members as well as um, director Richard Linklater. Um, that's a big get, yeah, my, it's a big my... get. And uh, you know, as we were talking yesterday, Sam, he's a sports fan, so um, uh, hopefully. You know, you don't do that kind of thing unless you really want to, you know, being a director of his stature. <laughs> right. I know he has a new movie out, but he's taking the time to see him. How many movie game. promo
2: nights have we talked about? Like where it's just like, yeah, we wore the jerseys and that that's essentially it. This is going to that next level.
4: Right. They have they have some real buy in. And uh, while Matthew McConaughey won't be there. Um, that we know of. That we know of. He might be. You're right. But the Round Rock Express have already given away uh, a, a Matthew McConaughey bobblehead in 2019. So they have some kind of relationship with him as well. And, of course, Dazed and Confused was the movie that you know, really launched his career some 30 years ago. Uh. They came out in September 1993, and now in uh, September 2023, you can celebrate it at Dell Diamond, home of the Round Rock Express.
2: All right. Well, that is Ben's pick for the promo of the week. Uh, ben, we'll, we'll you know circle back next week to talk about more promos, more stuff. But before we let you go, set up the interview we have coming up here.
4: All right, We have not gotten to the interview. We have not yet.
2: gotten to the interview yet.
4: There's so much to talk about. We we are just really good at doing this podcast <laughs> in, in terms of how much we have. Yeah, right now in the Florida State League playoffs, the Palm Beach Cardinals are taking on the Jupiter Hammerheads. As we were speaking on Thursday, Jupiter is up one to nothing in the best of three series. But this playoff series is taking place between two teams that share the same ballpark. So to get into the uh, joys and complications and just overall uniqueness of this scenario, we have Andrew Seymour, the general manager of the Palm Beach Cardinals to talk about this playoff matchup featuring two teams who share the same ballpark. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, there's that old horror movie trope. The call is coming from inside the house. In the current uh, Florida State League East Division finals, the, the rival is inside the house. The opposing team is inside the house because it's a unique uh, situation. It is the Palm Beach Cardinals versus... The Jupiter Hammerheads. And those are two teams that have long shared the same ballpark. And now they're battling it out in the Florida State League playoffs. To talk about this unique situation, we have Andrew Seymour, who is the general manager of the Palm Beach Cardinals. Andrew, thanks for being here.
0: You guys, thank you very much. Yep, it's turf war time. So we're talking it up. And I appreciate you guys bringing me on.
4: Yeah, we want to get into this playoff matchup and how you guys handle it. Uh, but first, you know, the Palm Beach Cardinals and Jupiter Hammerheads have long shared. Uh, Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium. But um, a couple months ago, you moved into the ballpark of the Palm Beaches temporarily while there's renovations being done at Roger Dean Chevrolet. Um, You know, what is the situation and status with that uh, playing at a different ballpark for a couple of weeks and into the playoffs?
0: Yeah, thanks. You know, it's it's wild. It truly is. Like, listen, for all the years that we've been together and cohabitants here over at Roger Dean, um, as of July 25th, we went down to our neighbors, uh, at the ballpark of the Palm beaches and said, Hey, listen, we need a place. We've got an impending, very exciting renovation project. And can we play at your place? So there was a, a fair bit of negotiation and, uh, they were terrific neighbors to us. We're 12.4 miles apart, our two stadiums. And so pretty easy commute, but, uh, their stadium will open in 2017 and it's fantastic. It's really state of the art. And, you know, that's, you know, we'll, uh, our teams went down there and enjoyed the amenities, these big clubhouses that are fantastic. A terrific playing field, just like we have here. We've got two great groundskeepers and the, the playing services heralded at both places. So that's good. And honestly, we had never matched up in the postseason, our two teams. So it's it's the perfect storm, Ben. You know, we're talking about all the time with the two of us matching up. Um, and then here we are. We finally match up and we're playing in a neutral site. So um, because of the impending uh, renovation project, here's where we are. We're at the ballpark of the Palm Beaches. So we get to introduce our, let's say our product to a whole new audience, which is great. Uh, and we've had good success with it. And we've really enjoyed the stay and great relationship with the guys and girls at the uh, ballpark of the Palm beaches.
4: yeah, and you're in your unique unique situation, no matter what ballpark you're playing in, um you know sharing the same ballpark with a, an opposing team in the league. Um, it's kind of exemplified by your background right now on the Zoom call, a rally towel that features both teams on the rally towel, which is give, being given away uh, at the ballpark for these games. Go Hammerheads in blue, go Cardinals in red. I mean, that speaks to this really unique thing that I don't think there's ever been a rally towel or a giveaway with both teams on it. When it became apparent you were going to meet in the playoffs with the team that you share a ballpark with and this whole operation is interconnected, You know, what's the approach to that? How does it how do you kind of uh you know figure out how to market it and uh, make sure everyone's involved you know it's
0: amazing when you have a hundred when you have two teams you have 132 games at home right so you've got to give people a good reason to come out here and the the fan base is one when they're when they come to roger dean chevrolet stadium that hey they pretty much know there's a game every night with the exception of mondays so they're coming out really to be entertained check out the action um a lot of times they'll, they'll pick their team based on maybe a color or whatever it is that they adopt. I'll I'll say this, you know, much to my dismay jokingly, but, uh, Jupiter has a nice local feel with it when hammerheads is, is your moniker. So, um, I think on the merchandising side that when people come into the area, they want to grab those, but, um, the tradition behind the Cardinals is really strong and that fan base is tremendous. So we're even on everything, you know? So, um, We have good fun. We just promote fun. And when the two teams matched up, we just terrific talking points right to your local media and to your fan base. Just hey, you can't lose. Come on out. Head your bets. Um, So we just made it a fun thing. As you mentioned, we've got rally towels behind me right here. And you know what? We just we just said, hey, come on out. The first 250 fans get a rally towel. It's duly branded. You can swing on whatever side direction that you want. Come on out. Hey, but by the way, when you come to the game, we've got two points of entry. We've got one for the Palm Beach Cardinals fans, and we've got another one for Jupiter Hammerheads fans. Um, we've got an independent, too, if you're undecided. But, you know, you go through one of the gates, you basically declare your your loyalty, and you get handed a rally towel, so it gets funneled down to one. And, you know, it it's just really fun. Like, And it, it, there's there's been no complaints from the fans. As a matter of fact, I felt it in game one, which was Tuesday night. It was uh, Jupiter's home game. I felt a little bit of a vibe from the from the Hammerheads fans. Now, the game couldn't have been any closer. It was a great pitcher's duel. Um, some timely hitting in the end just brought it to an extra inning game, uh, and Jupiter eked it out in the 10th inning, 3-2. to two. But some great play all around, and it was exciting. I mean, you couldn't get any closer, right? So um, we're having good fun with it. We just let people know, hey, listen, we're out here for you. We want to entertain. Hey, we're giving you as many as four more games to go on the back of that season that you've already come out and shown us some great support. So we have fun with doing that. We do all of our between-innings promotions um, during the course of our playoff games, and, again, to continue to entertain the fans. And um, we had some good fun on opening night. Well, excuse me, Tuesday night, game one, we had a 125-piece band from right across the street from Ballpark of the Palm Beaches. And this is a much-heralded band, and they did a great job. So there was some good pageantry for that opening night, you know, and we had fun. Yeah. And what is the
2: vibe like between your two front offices right now? Because there is a separate side on both, you know, you guys share Roger Dean Chevrolet, you guys are rubbing elbows a lot during the regular season, but now there's a potential FSL title on the line here in this opening series. What's the vibe like between you guys?
0: It's funny. It's, it's always friendly fire, right? So we do have divided in terms of, in terms of staffing and just for sanity, we have to divide up down the middle, right? So you have to have a, a staff that represents Palm beach and a staff that represents the hammerheads and, Again, friendly fire, but it is like uh brother, sister, or maybe cousin where you love competing with them, but uh, you sure don't want to lose, right? <laughs> you want to love them. So, uh, and I guess if yeah, it, it you know, uh, in the case of Tuesday night, we saw a, a good battle. And I guess if you had to lose, okay, that was the way to do it. And so you move into the next day with that, a, a new sense of optimism. So it good rivalry. There's one or two that are just fit for the ring, you know, so we like to make fun of them. Hey, they're right down the middle. Oh, well, you can't lose that way um but you know we've got a terrific staff here and so everybody's invested and after like i said 132 home games throughout the course of the season some rain too um and a lot of tarp um we're pretty proud of our people so you know what we have fun with it and um i did i think whatever the finish is is going to be grand so that's fun yeah there you go and you were talking about getting the word out to local media talking
2: this series up what has that been like i mean it you know you have, like you were saying, a 132 game schedule that is set months in advance. Now, all of a sudden, you guys are tacking on games here at the end,
0: trying to bring people out. How, how has it been getting the word out? It's been good. Now, you, you got to you know, you know, excuse me, you know your market, right? We're basically like SEC area uh, for football, and and the, the interest in, in college football and high school football dominates as soon as, like, let's say I should know what the first day that guys report to camp, but pretty much that date, we, we, Move down the chart in terms of uh front page news. We're bottom of the fold for an old school term, but you know we um we kind of pick our spots. And when we when we had a nice story like this one, all of a sudden we said, "Hey, guess what? This has never happened before." And all the time that we've been here, come on out. You can't lose cheering on one of your two local teams. And oh, by the way, we're at a different facility, so you want to check that out too. Hey, be one of the first couple of fans in. You get a free rally towel. Um, you're going to like if you haven't been to this ballpark before, those are all the, the the kind of the ploys, for lack of better words, that we really that we really let resonate with the general public. And like I said, we kept all of our, our, our media plan in place, uh, really pushed it a little bit more locally around the ballpark of the Palm Beaches, again, giving us new opportunity to impress on a new fan base. And again, you know, even just speaking with anybody in the local media and saying hey, this hasn't happened before and you compare all your head to head stats. There's some intrigue there. Um, Jupiter's never won a Florida State League championship in their existence. Uh, Palm Beach has won one and shared one. Our our head-to-head matchup through the course of this season is like a game off. Like we we couldn't be any closer in every statistical number. Um, and 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 so there's it's excitement if I can say that we we marketed aggressively. And Like I said, even going out to the local high schools and just um, we hosted a class last week. Uh, to introduce the ballpark, like let's say a high school class. The next night we hosted a college class out at the ballpark. We did it free of charge, but really point of introduction to bring people out and familiarize them with the ballpark of the Palm Beaches. And oh, by the way, there's a game in the backdrop. Enjoy. You know, so it's kind of from the the book of uh, fun is good, like the Mike Vec approach to things. Uh, and we have fun with that. So proud of that.
4: Yeah, and Sam uh, showed me a tweet yesterday from broadcaster Lisa Pride that that really hit on a lot of the things you were just talking about, uh, just how evenly matched these teams have been throughout the entirety of the regular season. Then they play a, a first game of the playoffs. Um, yeah, in the regular season, Sam helpfully pulled up that tweet. 27 meetings, 14 wins for Palm Beach, scoring 129 runs, 13 wins for Jupiter, scoring 126 runs. And uh, then just about a game as close as it could be in game one, Um, It seems fitting that these teams are so evenly matched, you know, sharing the same ballpark and uh, how that closeness, you know, obviously extends to the the front office for Palm Beach and Jupiter being intertwined. Uh, When the schedule comes out and you have those 132 games, is there any consideration with... You know promotion, promotional dates, theme nights. In terms of like, oh, we the Cardinals want to do this one, or is it strictly just looking at all 132 and and putting uh, you know, the promotions where they may in terms of what the best night is. Is there any competition in ter- uh, operationally that way, or is it all for the greater good? No, we have <laughs> we have a,
0: a media team, a marketing team that really does a good job of making sure that's all equitable. Uh, we have a guy named Brian Garden Schwartz who does a really nice job of balancing that, and um, he works alongside Taylor Burris, and and they. They basically chart things out in conjunction with all of us, right? But you, you try to be right down the middle, even. But there's some things like, hey, listen, if it's a, a large newt bar uh, pepper grinder, that's going to be specific to a pump <laughs> tonight, right? You know. So, um, and and there's some things where the hammerheads have a nice advantage when it comes to marine nautical life with a hammerhead in their name. So, again, I got a bird in my name, and and uh, they've got Hammy and uh, there. So there's some really good times and some of them have to play unique to that team. Our fan bases are good because, you know, in the second half or right after the draft, and you get some really uh, appealing players, not not that anybody wasn't before, but you get some high draft names on your roster. All of a sudden there's an intrigue, and that happened. Uh, You see our Miami fan base come over here to see uh, their hammerheads, and you see the same thing um, with baseball fans in general coming to see the Palm Beach Cardinals with a a new roster. So, um, you know, and the collectors, of course, fill those seats when new guys come in. We're grateful for that, too. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and we were talking before about you know bragging rights and all of that, but is there any actual bet on the line between your two sides? Like you were talking about college football, some teams play for jugs, some teams play for trophies. Mm-hmm. Rochester and Syracuse plays for the Golden Fork. <laughs> yeah. That exists in minor league baseball. Have you guys like set anything that will actually exchange sides at the
0: end of the? So, season? so yeah, a really good guy, the GM of the uh, Jupiter Hammerheads. His nickname name is Nick Burnaby and he's a good guy. And, um so he and I have a little bet, and you gotta have a bet, right? So um we do some head to head rivalries and always have fun with it. And uh so what we did is um if Jupiter wins, I buy the uh sparkling wine. If uh vice versa, he does. And the plan is is I'll be serving it with white gloves on or he will be serving it with white gloves on. So uh our guys are young too. Notice I said sparkling, uh sparkling we- juice, uh whatever I said. that that's by intent. Um So that's our little bet is that one has to buy the uh, post-game celebration uh, liquid. So good fun, friendly fire, and uh, I can't wait till we win.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, we're here talking on uh, Thursday afternoon with Jupiter up one to nothing in the best of three series. Game two is tonight. I know you don't want it to, but it could end uh, tonight. Uh, Otherwise, if you're listening to this uh, podcast when it comes out on Friday, tune in to the decisive uh, game three. And see who wins uh, this literal in-house battle. Now, I suppose that no matter who wins, does then the entirety of your operation, Jupiter and Palm Beach, root 100 percent for the winner against whoever wins the West in the Florida State League? Is there no hard feelings after this? And then it's uh, you know completely rooting for whoever is in the ballpark to to win the championship.
0: Yeah. I'll call it guilt by association, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a good familiarity and you get to know, um, you, you, again, I mentioned the term cohabitate cohabiting and, and you get to know a lot of these guys really well. And we, we did a couple of camps where it was shared territory. I mean, kids baseball camp, excuse me. And, uh, you know, there's some really good guys, uh, for myself, I enjoyed, you know, working alongside, let's say an Ian Lewis or Jordan McCants, who's, a, who are both on the hammerheads and it, you know, it, you feel good for those guys. I like their field manager, Nelson Prada, um and there's there's no bad there's no bad bug in the bunch it's it's um you're happy for them so it's guilt by association yes you'll cheer them on next that's your family member so um we'll do that but again i don't plan to travel that path so (laughs) 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 you know um you know maybe another bet is is when we win maybe i'll have uh maybe i'll request that nick burnaby put on the mascot outfit of course it's real but uh uh robbie the redbird so um you know that fun stuff we can I just tell you a couple of things we did on Tuesday night and we plan to do again on Thursday night tonight?
4: Yeah, of uh, course. Is, so. uh,
0: in, and only this is, again, some of these things that are in your head and you're like, okay. But when you, when, when you see them and you chalk them up and you see them on Tuesday night, it it kind of makes you laugh. Like, sure. It was Jupiter's home game, but we played walk-up songs for both teams. So guy, it was, a, it was like a home game. You know, the guys stayed in the regular clubhouses. Um, it, they all, they're very familiar with the ballpark and the playing field, the sight lines um like i said they have their own walk-up signs they own, occupy their own clubhouse they sleep in their own bed um and, and everything they're used to and it's it was it was just fun we had two mascots entertaining both teams mascots and it was a jupiter home game so um you know it's funny i, I like the joke we're pretty pdl compliant around here there's no load management conversations there's no travel limited travel and and better player rest and players get to sleep in their own beds so we're really playing that angle and um you know even with a rally towel so you know the the gist is never to have uh too predominantly a white base towel like not too much so i made sure we had a lot of uh print on the on those rally towels with both colors and both teams and a couple of sponsors (laughs) you know we're very pdl compliant over here (laughs) (laughs) well looking and i don't say that tongue-in-cheek i I very much respect it again just having fun with everything right Hmm.
4: yeah absolutely um yeah well we're looking forward to seeing how this plays out uh yeah Two more games, I'm sure you would say, to go for sure. And um, whoever wins will be from within uh, the Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium family, currently playing at Ballpark of the Palm Beaches. Um, Andrew Seymour, the general manager of the Palm Beach Cardinals, uh, we really appreciate your time and uh, filling filling us in on this unique situation. Thanks for joining us on the show before the show podcast. Thank you. Can I add one thing before I go? Of course. Mm -hmm. I've got to do it, guys. And listen, I'd love to entice you guys. There's still
0: time to come down here there's still for for friday's game because again that's a 6 30 start uh we go head to head with a lot of college and and, excuse me high school football so we'll need you in attendance uh you can pick and choose your team by which gate you come in and uh jump in your toyota corolla hang come on down we'll have a a palm beach cardinals playoff t-shirt for you and uh i gotta brag listen you mentioned nashville's three g's down here in palm beach we've got the three r's and it would be recreation we've got great beaches golf courses restaurants gluten-free options And then the third would be, of course, records. We've got some three (laughs) record shops for you, Ben. Rust and Wax record shop. If nothing else, you just got to get a T-shirt from there. But uh, we really do. We have some good stuff for you. and love to have you guys in attendance. And if I see you guys in Vegas, I'll make sure I have a T-shirt for you from the Palm Beach Cardinals.
4: All right. right. Thank you. you. And, yeah, you just sold us. Um, Sam and I are booking flights and renting the road trip. Just
0: jumping the Corolla.
4: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And we'll have to figure out which of us is rooting for which team. We'll work it out. We'll do some rock, we'll do some rock, paper, scissors. Um, But yeah, thanks again, Andrew, for being on, on the show and uh, yeah, looking really, really looking forward to seeing how this plays out. Appreciate it guys. Have a great week and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon.
1: this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. (laughs)
5: minors in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club or player hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One once really took to the yard, the others never took to anything. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist? A. The Jersey City Announcers. B. The Band in Big Mouths. C, the Bridgeport Orators. You ought to speak right up if you pick C, the Bridgeport Orators, who always found the right words for 15 seasons around the turn of the century in the Connecticut State League. The first thing that must be said about the Bridgeport Orators is that they were named for Baseball Hall of Famer Jim O'Rourke, who way back in 1876 recorded the first hit in the history of the National League. O'Rourke was much more than that one moment, though, as he'd be happy to tell you. Born in Bridgeport to Irish immigrants in 1850, O'Rourke graduated from Yale Law School and practiced law in the city of his birth during the off-season. His propensity for rhetorical expressiveness made his oral discourse bardic, galvanic, and eloquent beyond compare. Which is to say, he talked pretty. This quality was the inspiration for his nickname, Horridor Jim. Order Jim's big league playing career lasted, in effect, 22 years, and he appeared in one game with his old New York Giants again in 1904, 11 years after his final full season in the NL, going one for four and thereby becoming founding member of an elite club of players to notch a base hit in the majors after the age of 50. He was 54. But the old orator has our tongues running away with our points. Let's make like O'Rourke did and get back to Bridgeport. For O'Rourke, the return came after spending the 93 season with the Washington Senators and serving a stint as an NL umpire in 94. O'Rourke organized, managed, and played for Bridgeport clubs and even tried to organize a new league in the mid-1890s, along the way employing African-American son of Bridgeport Harry Herbert as an outfielder, and also staying active in local politics and civic groups. In 1898, the Connecticut State League team, still under his management and with him serving as a regular catcher at the age of 47, honored O'Rourke by playing as the orators. It was a name the club kept into the 20th century, with O'Rourke both on the team and becoming league president. They were the orators during a championship run in 1904, during which O'Rourke made history once again by playing in the same lineup as his eponymous son, a future New York Highlander, who were future New York Yankees, and all the way up through the 1912 season, they remained the orators. O'Rourke, the catcher who would turn 62 years old that September of 1912, donned the tools of ignorance at least once for the Orators that season, then sold the team before the end of the Connecticut State League, ahead of the 1913 season. And that's how the Orators fell quiet. Now onto the question for next time. Which of these players multiplied his luck in the minors of yesteryear? A. Johnny Begetter. B. Harold Breeding. C Henry Spawning. Wanna know the answer? Double down. Or tune to the next Ghost of the Minor. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is locked out of his piano lessons, and I've got to help him find the right key. <laughs>
1: this week's episode of the show, before the show, I was doing my countdown into the segment, and I had to both stretch and yawn. It's
2: too early for podcasting, Sam. Eight
1: thirty in the morning. Come on,
2: come on. I was going to give you full credit from the jump when you you had so much energy. You were, you were talking about like what time <laughs> it was there, what time you've woken up, and then you're just like I'm in going it. I'm going and right back. It only right. lasted so long. Yeah, I had the uh, the middle game of the night game last night,
1: and th- I didn't I didn't finish up too late. Like I was back to the hotel at a normal hour. But when I get done with broadcasts, uh, I'm usually like pretty energized, pretty wired. So I like tried to go to bed. And then I just laid there for like two hours and couldn't fall asleep. And then uh, as you and I started recording, I mentioned this to you. Sometimes that'll happen to me and then I get so annoyed and I get so frustrated by the fact that I can't fall asleep. But then for the rest of the night, I'm just like subconsciously annoyed. Like even as I'm sleeping, I'm still like pff, couldn't fall asleep for two hours though. And so then I'm just like flailing and tossing and turning and annoyed. And uh, so it was not my best it was not my best night's sleep. It's not the night sleep that I would put on like my resume. If I was applying for a job that was predicated on a <laughs> night's sleep,
2: it's not it's not what I would lead with. I want to get that job so badly.
1: Yeah. Uh, it does sound know, good. I love I
2: love this job very much. Don't get me wrong. I'm, <laughs> I'm not trying to go anywhere. But uh but the job yeah, just, just uh, getting a night's sleep, like uh, and getting paid for it, absolutely yeah, sign me
1: up. That and reviewing top-down, bottom-up blinds on Windows. I think those are the two yeah, calling. So I'm, that I'm available. Yeah. Um Well, before we get out of here, uh, MILB.TV is where you can catch all of the best and brightest of minor league baseball. We're coming down to the final weeks of the season with postseason play underway. Obviously, we've got the game of the month coming up this weekend. Sam, what are you watching on MILB TV?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll just once again say, everybody, tune in on Saturday uh, for the game of the month between Biloxi and Montgomery. Uh, If you're a Brewers fan or Rays fan, you should definitely be tuning in for that. But also, I think just generally, it's going to be a crazy atmosphere. You don't normally have two top 10 prospects facing off each other against each other like this with something so big on the line. So keep an eye out for that one on Saturday. But throwing back or throwing it forward a little bit more. Uh, we already do have one Eastern League series set uh, between Binghamton and Somerset, uh, which is a Mets-Yankees lineup. So that, or a matchup. So that's pretty fun in its own right. But Binghamton is really, really loaded. Uh, they got the second half spot there in the Northeast Division. Um, they have Luis Angel Acuna, Drew Gilbert, Jet Williams just got called up to Double A. So those are the Mets' top three prospects. Kevin Parada, who's number five on that roster. Keep an eye out for Blade Tidwell starts. Uh, He just started the other night, had five scoreless innings, struck out nine against Redding. Uh, I have a pipeline pitching lab up with him soon. Uh, It's him showing his pitch grips. And he talked about how he's changed around the grip on his curveball, on his slider, on his changeup. And something seems to have really caught on with him. He struggled with command at the beginning of the year, but that seems to have turned around. He's getting strikeouts. I really like the look of his slider. It's a really good sweeper. uh, And he can throw... You know, 95, 96 miles an hour with 18 inches of ride, uh, which is really good by modern standards. He said he said some fastballs go up up as high as 22 inches. So you're going to see some swings and misses on the heater, too. Uh, If you can catch a Blade Tidwell start in that postseason series against Somerset, by all means, uh, watch it when you can. Binghamton lineup is especially loaded, but the the Somerset lineup has a, a great prospect in its own right and top Yankees prospect, Spencer Jones, who's a really, really tall outfielder. Uh, it's an organization that knows how to develop those guys. Hello, Aaron Judge. Uh, but he just got to Somerset a few weeks ago, has better speed than you would expect for somebody at six, five, six, six, uh, but also can really hit the cover off the ball, too. So he's a multi-tooled athlete. Uh, in the middle of that Somerset lineup. So that should be a fun playoff series to follow next week. Um, keep an eye. You know, I'm sure one of those games will be a game of the week uh, and be featured for free on MLB.com slash pipeline. But keep an eye out for those announcements early in the week. Tyler, what are you, you watching?
1: Yeah, it's also kind of funny uh, that Spencer Jones is six six, and you're like – you would have to be like – you'd have to move to shooting guard if they were going to put together – like. Obviously, Aaron Jones, Aaron Judge is your big man. Like Spencer Jones, you're going to have to kind of shift him around to a different position. Yeah. I want
2: to see just a picture of Judge, Stanton, and Jones. Yeah. Just together, just yeah. hanging out, you know? Yeah. Just like, you know, what do what three tall guys do
1: in New York City uh, who play a professional sport, but not for the Knicks or Nets? I think
2: that's, I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's what they should do. They should have the three of them go into a bodega and just help people get stuff <laughs> off the top shelves. Three ideas. Yeah, I think we've got an
1: idea for, yeah, exactly. It sounds very fun. Um, I'm going to stick in the AA Eastern League uh, as well. Um, the Somerset Patriots, uh, as Sam noted, uh, will square off with the New Hampshire Fisher cats, Ricky Tiedemann, the second ranked left-handed pitching prospect, uh, in baseball is, um, you know, finishing the year strong, obviously very limited at the beginning of the season, uh, with injuries, but 72 strikeouts and 38 innings for Ricky Tiedemann so far this season coming up on Friday. He will be going in what looks like his final start of the year. Uh, and uh, you can catch that at NMILB.tv. Um, Before we get out of here, though... Uh, I got to give a plug to uh, our pal, Michael Clare, who has written a fantastic story. I'm over here in Japan working the Women's Baseball World Cup. Uh, Michael's got a story up at MLB.com about Ayami Sato, who is uh, the longtime ace of Japan's women's baseball team staff. Um, Mike does such awesome work on everything, but he's got a great story up on that. Uh, And you can check out uh, all of the games from over here. Uh, with the Women's Baseball World Cup uh, at a website, gametime.sport, run by WBSC, the the World Baseball Softball Confederation. Women's Baseball World Cup is a very cool event. Uh, This is a different format this year. There are two group stages, and then there will be a six-team full World Cup held next year. Uh, These group stages will send the top three finishers on through. The United States has already advanced, uh, as has Canada, as has Mexico. They advanced out of an event last month uh, in Thunder Bay, Ontario, which was the first group stage. Um so those teams are on through top 3 finishers here will move on as well um and uh yeah we had uh, Japan's opener last night they actually kind of struggled a little bit they uh they ended up beating Puerto Rico 4 to 2 but they were trailing that game 2 nothing going into the bottom of the 4th uh, Japan had not allowed more than one run in a World Cup game since 2016. Uh, so that's ridiculous. They have not lost a game in the Women's Baseball World Cup since 2012. That's how dominant. I made the comparison last night. They're like the the early 90s Olympic dream teams uh, for USA basketball. That's pretty much what Japan's women's baseball team has been uh, in recent years. Um, congratulations also to Japan, uh, which won the U18 Baseball World Cup. A lot of future stars on that team. USA Baseball kind of struggled. They uh, they finished fourth. Uh, they finished with a five and four overall record. It was the first time since 2010 that they had not played uh, for a medal. They have been playing for world championships. They had won five of the last six um, going into this past weekend's uh, world championship final. And we've seen a ridiculous amount of talent come out of that U18 national team program uh, in recent years, for the United States, Nolan Gorman and Jared Kelnick and Bobby Witt and Tristan Casas and uh, you know, all kind Nolan Liebertor and uh, Ryan Weathers, all kinds of talent that's come across not really the case this year. Um, I mean, still a lot of talent, but uh, the success did not come on the field. They finished five and four overall and in fourth place uh, and coming up tomorrow, Sam, I get to cross off, one of my biggest bucket list things in the baseball world i am uh weather permitting going to a hiroshima carp game it'll be my very first nippon professional game in person uh i have not been able to attend an npb game because my uh only other time in japan it was november uh so the season had already wrapped up but i'm i'm pretty pumped man to go to go check out a carp game and apparently hiroshima is like the most uh dedicated loyal fan base in uh japanese baseball it's this team is community owned so they're sort of like the green bay packers um where the the city actually owns the team or fans actually own the team um they play at mazda zoom zoom stadium uh i'm i'm very excited man i'm super pumped
2: yeah we're gonna have to trade notes next week i mean you're going to see the carp i'm going to see the shuckers yeah Water-based team. Yeah, I was going, going to
1: say very aquatic week for the the hosts of the yeah. show before the show podcast. That's that's pretty cool stuff. Um, so just a, a shameless plug for uh, for Mike's stuff and uh, and for the broadcast as well, and uh, for Sam's also, which uh, you can catch the minor league game of the month for free coming up on Saturday from Biloxi, Mississippi. And uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show for uh, Sam Dykstra, Benjamin Hill, Josh Jackson, and all the rest. My name is Tyler Mon, and we will catch you uh, from normal time zones for both of us coming up next week.